Free Film. I'm your host, Joel Marshall. And I'm Kamala Lopez-Dawson, and it's Friday the 13th, and we're here at the Haunted Hotel finishing up the movie The Intervention, which is a scary horror movie I've been doing. And we're sitting here with two extremely important people on the crew. One, Jesse Sternbaum, who is the first assistant director, and Carrie Tyson, who is the unit production manager, or UPM. And both of these people are um, integral to keeping um, an independent film, certainly of this level, on track, on target, and on budget and on time. And today we had a little bit of a snafu, which um, I'm sure Jesse will tell you about. Oh, that's me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we had uh, our sound mixer um, have some private stuff happen, I guess, personal stuff happen, and we had to figure out whether or not we were able to shoot that day, because time being of the essence, we... <laughs> we uh, we well, weren't sure whether or not we could build into our day. day. We're, on yeah. day s- we're on day 16 we're day of 18 right days. And we only have two days left to shoot, and suddenly we don't have sound. It's, it's one of those things where you don't have a lot of options of things to complete, things to shoot, so you have to make the best decision. Um, working on a low-budget movie... You don't pay the crew a lot of money, and you have to keep them in mind all the time. So you have to make the best objective opinion and decision that will behoove the production as well as the crew. And because that's the last thing you want to want to happen is have the crew leave because they're not happy. I noticed that when you came over to discuss with us what the options were, you could sense that if you tried to wait for a sound mixer to drive up from L.A., which would take two to three hours because of traffic, it was going to extend our shooting day from the maximum of 12 hours that you had told people they would be working to something like 16, and you would have some sort of mutiny on your hands. It's not so much that. It's the matter of, like, we're being respectful of the crew because they're not making much money. So we're not even going the 12 hours that it's expected. So suddenly to go from when we're treating the crew so well and having people just kind of doing these short days to jumping into this 14 or 15 hour day, which is expected. But the thing is, when you're working on regular films, not independent films, you're getting paid that overtime and you're making the money that compensates for that extra work you're putting in here. We can't afford to do that. So so there's no overtime being paid to the crew. No, no, not in a situation like this. I mean, regular filmmaking, when you're doing a union film, you're getting paid from the eight hours. You do your eight hours, which is, you know, your basic, and then from there you go time and a half, double time, and so on and so forth. So if it was a union crew, I'd have no problem making them work 16 hours because they're getting the benefits of working 16 hours. Um, but in a situation like this, you're making the same amount if you do one hour or you're doing 20 hours. Oh, I didn't actually And that. so that's the reason why I don't want to put these guys in a situation, especially since they've been doing such a bang-up job so far. Right. You know? The other thing is we have a very skeleton crew. We have three, we have two electricians and we have two grips. From what we wanted to do was shoot outside, then travel all the electric and grip stuff inside, and then wait for dark and go outside again, which is a really big job to do for four people. And I didn't want to put them through that either because it, it would have just been a logistical nightmare. And no one would have been happy and... It's, it's something that, if it can be helped to take this day as a wash and then start again fresh tomorrow with a new schedule and work out our situations that we had, it would it's a much better situation now to do it like this. 
So what did you actually lose by deciding to do it the way you decided to do it? Actually, we probably walked out the winners in the whole entire situation. We didn't lose anything, really. I think, I think, we, I think we, what happened is that we gained we gained in this situation because when I got back to the hotel today and talked to the DP and the editor, I found out that we had a camera problem, which is our registration was off in our camera. So if we would have shot today, the whole day could have been really bad. We, we might have had to budget an extra day to shoot because of... All the mishaps that happened today, and it's just ironic that it's Friday the 13th because it's really freaky. And- but but we just found that out that after we called it a day and sent everyone home, we found out from our editor who's transferring all of our film that the camera was off. All four rolls that we shot yesterday had bad registration. So if we would have shot today, not only was yesterday a bad day for camera-wise, that today would have been even worse. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise, right. which I always say everything works out for a reason, and I guess that that's our reason. But on the on the personal level of it, the the confidence of the crew is so much more. I mean, we we went to the crew and we asked them what they thought. We kind of put it out to them, which you never would do in any other situation. But because it's such a small crew and everyone's kind of like a family situation, you put it out to them and they're that much more understanding and they're that much more willing to the day that we, I mean, given there's only two days left, but if day 17 or day 18, I need to go 16 hours, the crew's down for it because they know that we're willing to inform them every step of the way. And we're the ones who are opening up our arms saying, look, we can't control the environment. We can't control what's going on around this. One of our own went down. One of our own's got a problem. And, you know, we could either have his back or we can just keep on going and screw ourselves in the end. And the crew just feels, you know, like in any other situation, you're, you're open and honest with people. And they're like, well, we'll do what you need to have done. And now they're all down the street having a good time and laughing it up. And tomorrow will be a great day. You know, you had the key word there at a low budget level like this. It's very intimate and it's very family. And when one person has a situation <clears throat> that can't be helped, that happens to be very personal to him, it's. Everyone kind of comes together, even if you have a tiff with that person or you just don't get along with that person, you really end up coming together as a family and supporting that person. And that's kind of what we did today. And it was actually, it was very touching today what happened. Everyone kind of bowed their heads and kept him in thought. And I thought that was really, really great of everyone to do. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me, when when you budget a movie, how do you... um, plan for these kind of things that might occur you know you only have so much money do you you put some kind of cushion into it or well every budget has a contingency plan um this budget has a contingency plan which uh, we haven't delved into yet which is a very good thing um is it a percentage of the budget yes it's usually it depends it depends but usually it's three percent and um it's not really 3% on this one, but it, it's usually 3%. So we haven't delved into our, our contingency yet, which is very good. On the last show, Jesse and I did, uh, the second day of shooting, we had to mm. use all of our contingency, <laughs> which was really bad. <laughs> but um, we ended up making that movie, and it was, it was fun. And, and how many times that movie shut down? We, we shut down that last movie about three times. Three times. We yeah. wrote the script like fifteen times. And you did like eighteen schedules. 18 schedules. It was it was a really bad movie. That was bad. It was cursed. We, we had fun though. <laughs> we did have fun. Um, tell us what it is that each one of you actually do. Um, 
basically a production manager or a line producer, which I'm acting as both in this movie, um, is responsible for the budget and hiring the crew and making sure everyone's happy. And in situations like this, what we had today is making a decision. Coming together with the first AD, the director, or the producers, and actually coming up with a decision that they think everyone that would make everyone happy and productive for the production. Um, the last thing you want to do is be unproductive. And um, today, I think we made it. We made a great decision. And basically, I have to always every penny spent has to be approved by me. Um, I have to keep tabs on the budget. I have to do cost reports and I have to inform producers and directors, which I say directors because in this case, our director is the producer and the writer of the show. So I have to inform her of everything, um, who she's awesome, by the way, Shannon Heil is a great director. (laughs) Um, so every penny spent, every decision made, everyone who has a forced call or a pre-call or anything like that has to go through me, and um, Jesse, my first AD, is basically my main backup person, my right hand and my left hand, and I depend on him to run the set every day, and I think he does a great job, even though on this show I'm never on set because I'm doing everything else. I trust Jesse with everything, and he's been doing a great job. So, oh. What is it, Jesse, that you do? Um, the first AD is, is kind of the... Uh, people kind of have like the misconception there, there's two misconceptions first I'm not the assistant to the director I'm an assistant director it's it's really badly labeled title um, and the second thing is everyone thinks of or anyone who knows anything about the film industry thinks of the first AD is like this kind of like militant general who runs a set and screams at everybody and acts like an ass um, a lot of us are that way um, but <laughs> that, that's not our that's job besides that's besides the point that's just their bad personalities uh, some of the best first ADs I've ever worked for were the nicest guys I've ever met in my life um, it's basically the spread of information it's it's knowing how to make sure that everybody knows where we are what what, what stands in our day where are we going to be in 18 or 20 or depending on the size of the shoot 60 days from now what's happening and making sure that every department's informed so that they can be prepared my job is is partially about what's happening today but more about what's happening tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and making sure that you know it's preparation preparation i mean if if an ad preps a film correctly it could be the best shoot in the world um and that's where my job kind of exists it's, it's all about the preparation for the film I, in terms I, of smooth but when you say best shoot in the world you mean smoothly going from thing to thing or it's not just smoothly it's it's a matter of because no shoot I've ever worked on has been smooth I mean every shoot has its problems and, and, and every shoot it's very very a film shoot is very organic um, and I've seen problems on certain sets like luckily this one has been one of the best things I've ever been on in my life besides the paycheck. Um, besides the paycheck. Yeah. But the, <laughs> Sorry about that. You guys, she's like falling off over there. Um, no, it's, it's you know, every shoot I work on has, has issues that I've never seen on another shoot. You know, things go wrong and you're like, I've never expected something like that to happen, nor could I ever imagine something Give like that some happening. Um, the last shoot we worked on, I mean, Kat and I were in Florida for close to two months, man. Right? It's about two... How long was it? It was... Yeah, it was about eight weeks. Yeah. Two months. We were there, and... Can you say what that was? No, I don't want to use the names. I don't want to embarrass those people. <laughs> Nameless. Um, we, had, we had a a very 
experienced production wise producer. I mean, this guy's been around well, the business let's just forever. Say that our whole production staff was from Los Angeles and was not green whatsoever. Green yeah. meaning they've have a lot of experience working on films, TV, commercials, whatever. Yeah. Every Pers- every other crew member we hired was a local Florida person. Who all they knew was Miami Vice. Who all they knew was Miami Vice. Miami Vice and people. <laughs> I work for Michael Mann. <laughs> yeah, and people who basically we hired people. If they walked by the door and said, "What are you doing? We're making a film. Do you know how to do this?" and they said yes, we hired them. Yeah, we it was really, really. We had to train half the crew. The other half the crew were interns and. That thought they were professional. It was it was a really great situation. The basic thing is, look, if you have, and, and this is something that I had a conversation with Paul about today, is, is that if you have no, the, the genius behind this film, The Intervention, is this. They realize it's a very small budget, okay? They had a great concept. Now, they could have made it difficult on themselves and had multiple locations and been all over the place, but they didn't. They wrote an entire script in one place. And when you have no money and you have a small crew, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. The, the, yeah, there's something to be said for production design and, you know, how the set looks. And, and that's great. And, you know, having all these beautiful locations is amazing. But it comes with a cost. The cost is company moves. The cost is having crews that can get there and rig for you. The cost is having crews that can come in there after you've shot and wrap it out. The cost is actually having to move. I mean, every time you move, that costs an incredible amount of money in time and labor. Yeah. And so when you have no money... And you can find one room to put a story in or one house that has multiple rooms to put a story in. It's going to make that job that much easier. Not just because of the moves, but because when you get simple things like screw-ups where, you know, things are too dark. Or because you have these problems with the camera reports. Or it's raining outside. Or it's raining outside. You have everything right there. And you can say, well, I can't do scene 32 today, but I can do scene 64, 67, 68, 69, 70, 70, and down the list. And you'll never fall behind your schedule. And it's like a situation like today where we can't shoot today, but, you know, we are here at the same location for two more days. We own that location. We don't have to go anywhere. It's not a big threat to production. It's not like, well, we lose this place tomorrow, and so how are we going to afford to get it back? And then what are we going to do about the other place that we have to go to? And all these little things happen. We don't have to worry about that. And and that's the biggest advice. And you said something about, like, advice to filmmakers. The biggest advice is if you have no money, put a story in one location. Keep it small. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. You know what I mean? And the simpler you can do it, the the better it's going to be for you because as a director, as a producer, as a first AD, as a line producer, as any other craftsman within this whole entire project, you're able to maintain this this level of stability knowing that it's always going to be there for you during the project and you could always go back to it. You could always fix what's been screwed up before and if it hasn't been done before, you can do it now. Do you know what I mean? If that makes sense, what I'm saying. So... Yeah, and that's the important thing about transferring your film, too, as soon as you shoot it. Like, the next day, transfer it and get dailies, because if something gets messed up, or the camera, which we found out today, wasn't working properly, or something's too dark, or the boom was in the shot, or anything like that, you can go back so easily and fix it, if you know. A lot of people that are low-budget filmmakers make the mistake of shooting everything, and then transferring their film and then doing all the stuff later after they get money to do it because what what they do is they have money for production but they don't have any money for post so they make the movie but they have all this film that they haven't developed 
And it's just sitting there until they get more money. And then they develop it and find out that they have all these problems and they have to go back and reshoot half their film. So my, my opinion is to develop the film as soon as you shoot it and figure out what your problems are, fix them while you're there, and move on. It costs a lot less money and it's more productive in the, in the long run. How do they make dailies out of film? I mean, do they send it someplace and they put it on a, a tape? Is that what happens? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. It's what you, you the, the, uh, the transfer is all based on what you request. Mm-hmm. What happens is basically the film goes to the lab that night. The lab develops the film and then they transfer it. They do, they do something called, it's a choice. You either have a translator or you have a one light. Translates three lights, which means that you're color correcting as you're actually developing or transferring the film. A one light means it's very simple. They run the film straight through. No color correction. The way you shot it is the way you have it. And they throw it either onto a DVD or a VHS. I don't think anyone uses that anymore. Or possibly hard drives. I mean, considering what the technology is today, possibly hard drives. And then it's delivered to the DP or director or producers, whoever's requesting at that and point. The telecine process, is that what you just described? Telecine <clears throat> is is the actual process of watching the film. Telecine is the actual process of watching the film go through the development stage. The film gets developed. I mean, anyone who's worked with, like, you know, like still photography, you know, you go into the lab and you take that and you put the chemical solution together and you dip it in and you put it under and you project it and you finally get a picture. All right, that's the same thing, except here we're dealing three, five thousand, six thousand feet of that actual still projections that you're putting together. Then that transfer, while you're watching it happen, that transferred actual DVD is the actual telecine. Um, it's just it's it's telecine, you know, it's TV watching. That's the basic translation to it. And what's the price range for telecine? Is it by the hour or by the foot? It's by usually by the foot. What we're paying on this show is a great great deal because we like asked for a favor. Cents or twenty seven cents a foot. Not even nineteen cents I'm a foot. I'm not even gonna tell you what we're getting because yeah, it's, so <laughs> it's so cheap. I'm not even gonna tell you because it's so cheap. Cat, that's for processing or telecine. That's uh, for that's processing. processing. That's for yeah. processing. Telecine is an actual hourly basis. Uh, Telecine is hourly. That's correct. And then you have to pay for the DVD stock and all that stuff. I don't have the numbers right now, but... What's a ballpark that someone can budget in for a Telecine? It depends how much doing. It depends how much film you're shooting per, per day. And it also depends on what kind of Telecine you're actually doing. Right, right. If you're doing a translate, which is a supervised Telecine, which means in this situation you have an editor who's sitting there supervising the Telecine. It means that he's sitting there and he's seeing the film and he's saying that's a little too red, that's a little too green, it's a little too blue, it's a little too light, it's a little too dark. And he's actually making adjustments as it's transferring. That's the that's trans that's that's a very expensive way of doing it. Then there's one light where there's nobody there. It's the operator who sits there and goes he messes with his little knobs and he does whatever he feels is comfortable and he just lets it run straight through. There's a third kind also of telecine, which is a basically it's a telecine where they're also um they're also I forgot what I can't think of the word. They're syncing up the sounds. So you're actually Isn't getting sound normal? dailies. Isn't the sound I've never heard of any of not having it's based sound on dailies. Budgets. It depends. It really depends. It's based on your budget. If you can afford it, you do it. I mean, some people will do a one light with syncing their sounds. Some people in this situation are doing a trans light and not syncing their sounds. I have a question for Carrie. When you um, make a budget, how do you start making a budget? I mean, let's say like I, I'm going to make a movie and I'm like, I don't know how much it's going to cost. Where do I begin? That's a yeah, good Carrie, question. Where do you begin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> friends of friends of friends. I'll tell you that. Um, when I started budgeting, I mean, I didn't know where to start. 
I basically asked my friends that were line producers and production managers to and accountants. I even asked my accountant friends to send me every budget they've ever done. And I and I just looked at it. And basically where you start is you need to have a, a script breakdown and a schedule first. And that's where you start because you'll never be able to budget the actor's days or any of the above-the-line stuff that you need to put in the budget without a schedule. Actors, directors, days, locations, all that stuff. On a bigger budget movie, department heads... Um, DPs and and location managers and transportation teams and stuff like that, they will all do a department budget for you and give it to you, which is very awesome because you don't have to deal with it. All you do is take their numbers and say yes or no, and you put them into the budget. But on this show, which we don't have transportation or wardrobe or like props or anything that is helpful <laughs> we don't have any of that so basically we're, we're budgeting sag we're budgeting post we're budgeting crew we're budgeting man days and we're budgeting equipment that's it so it's very easy all you do is you call vendors you get bids from them you take the highest bid i always take the highest bid just to cushion it and put it in the budget and because and that will include my additional equipment you know, that additional rentals that, oh, we need some crazy jib arm or whatever. Okay, great, because I have that budgeted. I didn't really, but I do now because I took the, the highest but the highest bid I got from that department. And um, you always want to cushion stuff. You always want to give extra man days for wrap and prep. Because, like, on this budget when I came in, the director had done the budget. I had to rework the entire thing because she had no prep days for anyone and no wrap days for anyone. And it, it was it was just misbudgeted and not on the fault of her because she's never budgeted a movie. It was just like, this is what I think, and she threw it all together, and I had to rework it. Luckily, we're still very, 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 very under budget, minutely, <laughs> but we're still under budget, which is great, and we haven't delved into the contingency, which is even more great. And I think we're going to save on film because she budgeted 90,000 feet, and we haven't been shooting 5,000 feet a day. We've been shooting, I think, roughly 3,500, 4,000 feet a day. And so we're going to get a lot of money back from that. And we're doing really good on the show. I mean, basically, it's when you can ever ask a favor from someone, ask them. That's, that's the one thing I learned is ask, ask, ask. If you don't know what you're doing, ask. And that's how I learned how to budget is asking people, looking at their budgets, researching it. And it's, it's funny because if you have a – movie that's shot in Los Angeles, you want a budget for Los Angeles. Yeah, if you have a movie that's being shot in New York or or Las Vegas, you don't want an LA budget. You want a Las Vegas budget or you want a New York budget because they're very, very different. So when you, you start when, so when you present the budget to somebody and they say, you know what, we need to cut that budget down. It needs to be like in half. Where do you begin starting to trim a budget? Oh, well, that's the political fun of everything right there. <laughs> Especially when you're dealing with a studio because they just cut you right in half from the get-go. Um, you start by, you make bullet points. You make bullet points. There's no really particular place to start. Um, you start making bullet points of where you can trim stuff. Well, I can trim stuff by, by, cutting, script, by cutting script days. Like, okay, we ought to cut scenes. We have a, 
115 page script, we should cut that down to 90, 90 pages. That's, that's the first thing. Cut the script down. If you want to cut the budget, you cut the script down. Um, that, that's the major thing because a lot of people have a 120 page script, 130 page script, and they're like, oh, I want to make my movie for $50,000. And you're just like, not going to happen. You know, not going to, even if you have the crew for free, it's not going to happen. And, um, that's basically where you start is the script is the script is where you need to start when you're cutting a budget. What about consolidating locations? That's also true, but that also is derived from the script. If you cut the script and you, you consolidate locations within the script, that helps a lot. And it depends. If you have all loca- if you get all your locations for free, then it doesn't matter. Mm. But if you're paying... It does because you're making company moves and stuff like that. But if... It helps if you're getting your locations for free, which, which is rare. <laughs> what about shooting days? Um, how do you determine... Because sometimes you see like a big, one of those big studio movies will shoot like a page and a half in a day. And then we're trying to shoot, what, five, six pages a day? What do we, what do, and. That, that's, that's, um, that's a lot of it's determined by what's going on. I mean, it's very, very deceiving just looking at what the page count is as opposed to what's actually the content of what you're looking at. Um. Studio films, the advantage is that, they, that when you work in the studio world, a lot of people think that doing an eighth of a page is a waste. But it's not. Because you have these actors who, it's not somebody that you can rush. It's not somebody that you can just be like, get to set, now go. That's it. No. there and, and a lot of the actors have the power of saying that I don't like what I just shot. I want to change what I just shot. And you get stuck doing the same thing for multiple days. Um, these are big it's, A-list actors we're talking about. A-list actors. But even even if you're talking the $30, $40 million range, that's that's still the same thing. I mean, you can't you can't rush certain people. And it's, it's also a matter of DPs you can't rush. And also it's a matter of that you have so much money invested, you spend the time making sure it's perfect. It's like if you've ever gone to a commercial set and, you know, it's a can of Pepsi and you're sitting there. And they're spending four days lighting this can, and you're looking, and, like, it's a tabletop <laughs> shot, dude. Like, what could you possibly do? And the advertising people come down, and they look at it, and this is the most exquisite shot you've ever seen in your life. And they look at it, and they go, yeah, but we wanted caffeine-free can. And you're like, well, we got to relight now. And they relight. Instead of switching out the can, you relight the caffeine-free, because that caffeine-free part that's scripted across the can is a little bit different than what the regular can look like. And it's the same concept. You know, you're going to spend this much money into doing something. You're going to do it to the best of your ability. And it's all it's all a matter of, it, it's all relative, basically. You know what I mean? Where you have 18 days to shoot in certain, uh, an under a million dollar project. Well, now you have $30 million. So multiply that by 30 times. That's what you're I mean, that, that's kind of the way to look at it. I mean, it's a very basic way I'm trying to lay out here, but that's really the way to look at it. It's not a waste of time spending an eighth of a page day shooting or setting up for three days to shoot a scene. That's not a waste. It's just you have the luxury of doing that, you know, and, and it's just it's it's kind of then you see that a lot in the independent world. Guys yeah. in the indie world are like, I don't get that, you know, spending you know, all day to shoot one scene. It's like, nah, dude, it really doesn't work that way. When you're on those sets that are spending that much money, when your production budget is $150,000, $200,000, $400,000 a day, you better damn well get it right because otherwise you're going out and spending that three, dollars 400000 one more day. You know what I mean? And that's the way it works. 
And with bigger budget projects, you have so many other chiefs in the hut. It's like you have the line producer, you have the director, you have the DP, you have all the executives, you have the studio, you have the studio's people, you have the people of the studio. It's just everyone is... I don't want to. Everyone is on your ass about it is, it's this. It's really ruined by committee. It, it is. It's ruined by committee, and it's you need to have quality when you bring it to these people Not, because they will, they will tell you without a doubt. I don't like it. We're reshooting it, and. You know, we need to find a way to do it and stay on budget. And it's not to say that the quality is reduced when you're shooting an independent film. Actually, not in any not. way. Well, that's what I it's, think it's, is it's, half it's, these it's, studio movies look, look like crap. Well, you know, it's it's not so much that because the way we're saying it is that you know, the, way, the way it sounds like we're saying or being presented is the fact that because you have all these different people and, you know, they're, they're all manipulating it and making it what really the public wants to see the studio films are bringing out something so, so much better. Given I love doing studio films because my paycheck's better. But that's from a worker side of... In terms of quality, the fact of the matter is is they're equivalent. We pay the mortgage when we do studio films. That's that's why we pay our mortgage. (laughs) But the the fact of the matter is is that when you see an independent film, it's much more of a personal view of filmmaking because there's less people who are controlling the final product. You don't have all these people who are putting in their two cents and saying, well, this needs to be this way and we need to do this this way because this person is going to look at it this way and we're going to hit this market this way and we're going to have intellectual property this way and we're going to do this and this and this. Independent filmmaking is strictly about... What it's really about capturing what yeah. the director wants to see. And maybe the director has a partner who's his producer and that person has a little bit of an influence in what you're getting. And maybe the DP has a little bit of influence. But outside of that, in the indie film world, it doesn't get much more. The studio film world, you have all these people who are qualified and and and... And who are who are solidified and have these little plaques on their walls that they went to this school or that school, and all because they say that they can do this, and that's where you're getting your influx of people saying that you know this is this is the perfect project. Sometimes Which is it's funny right. Because Jesse and I, neither of us went to film school, or no. did you go to film school? I go to film school. No, no, <laughs> neither of us went to film school. <laughs> Like, Kat, your dad, your dad is a very well-known wardrobe designer, right? Dig your way out of that one, kid. <laughs> yeah, I can't really dig my way out of that. Yeah, he he actually got me into the business. I started doing... I, I started going to work with him when I was very young. And I I got very intrigued by it. And I knew full well I did not ever want to do wardrobe. He's a, he's a very well-known, legendary wardrobe supervisor. Um... But I knew I didn't want to do wardrobe, and I started after college. I, I kind of quit going to college and started messing around and doing nothing with my life. And he's like, "All right, I'm I'm giving you this opportunity, and this is the only opportunity I'll ever give you. So you better make it worthwhile." And he took me to work, and I started working, and met um, a producer, and he liked me. I started working for him, and that's how I got in the industry. And I. I Basically, have started started from my dad doing odds and ends kind of stuff to basically from getting coffee for a hundred people to line producing small budget movies, which is not much different. But um, <laughs> but, um but uh, I enjoy it, and I really it's in my blood, as he says, it's in my blood, and I and I couldn't ever do anything else. The first day I came home from working. Uh, the first movie I ever worked on as in production was Collateral Damage, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie at Warner Brothers. And he asked me, I came home after a 14-hour day. It was my first day, and I had 
the most hellish day ever because I had no idea what I was doing. I came home and he's like, so how'd it go? I said, I'm addicted. (laughs) That was was the word I used. I was like, I'm addicted already. And he just started laughing. He's like, yeah, well, kid, it's in your blood. And that's kind of how I started making movies. And and I've never wanted to do anything since. So, How about you, Jesse? Uh, hmm. I don't know, man. I I kind of uh, I kind of just calmed my way into my first job. I couldn't think of anything better to do other than surf. So <laughs> I figured this is the way to go. You make easy money, hang out with a lot of hot girls, and you know. <laughs> Jesse is the most non-first AD I've ever met. Yeah, Jesse, I, I just want to describe you real quick. I just want to describe Jesse well, real quick. Picture, but you can describe him in your own words if you like. Oh, can I tell him about the first day I met Jesse? Yes. The first day I met Jesse, I was in Florida, and the producer was like, we have to go pick up the director on the first AD. I'm like, oh, great, they're taking the same flight, so hopefully they talked about the script and everything. And the line <laughs> producer looked at me, he's like, Right, you don't know Jesse. They probably are drunk, and I'm like, what? And so I get, so I get in the van and we go and we drive to the airport. And the director jumps in the car, and I'm like, oh great, the director, yeah, he's young, he's cute, great, you know, and he's totally full on for the movie. He starts talking about the movie as soon as he gets in the van. And then this punk ass kid gets in the van with greased back black hair a black t-shirt chains hanging from his jeans these big ass black boots and smoking a cigarette inside the car the producer's car in the producer's car he just lights up a cigarette in the car and i'm just like hey kid who the fuck are you and he's like i'm jesse the first ad and i'm like we're fucked (laughs) that's what i said i was like oh my god i cannot believe you're the first ad and we ended up going out and having drinks that night, and we bonded a little bit, and we were both, I think, a little standoffish with each other, but we ended up having a great time and, and bonding, and now Jesse's my boy. <laughs> I love him, and he's a great AD, but he's not your typical AD with glasses and a pencil protector and shit like that, nah, so. Nah, man. <laughs> he's not actually pretty cool. So have you he two... serves and rides motorcycles. <laughs> How many uh, shows have you worked on together? This is our second this show, This is only our second really? show. Yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta understand, we were in Florida. But, with, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we, we spent 24 together. hours a day for eight, eight weeks together in Florida, and there was nothing else to do except talk and drink vodka. Oh, there was the actresses. Oh, and there was the actresses that Jesse <laughs> yeah. really liked. Yeah, there was the actresses. That's funny. Nah, yeah. <laughs> It was. I think we're running out of time, but we're at the film bite section, the dreaded film bite section. So I'm going to say my film bite. Okay. Which is um, whatever kind of film you're working on, enjoy the positive things about it. If you're working on a big studio film, enjoy the paycheck. Enjoy the fact that you get to spend all day working on one scene. If you're working on an independent film, enjoy the fact that there's it's like family, and um, you get to make some. Uh, you know, one person is in charge and not 20 people in charge. And so just uh, wherever you are, be there. Dig it. Um, my film bite, which is something I just learned that I think is very important, is to put 3% contingency into my budget for um, things that I can't predict that might happen. And also what Carrie said about, which I thought was really interesting, I never would have thought this, is to take the higher uh, bid as your budgeted um, line item so that 
you have a little cushion in there for things that, again, can arise that you couldn't predict. Oh, is, is it mine? I, I just say don't take anything personally, man. That's don't take That's anything personally. Don't take anything personally is good. My, my film bite is nothing we touched on today, but something I really believe in is if you want to direct, because I have a lot of people always asking me, like, how do I get into directing? How do I get into directing? And my little film bite is get behind a camera, bottom line. Don't PA, don't AD, don't do any of this stuff. Get behind a camera and learn it and learn it good because that's the one thing that will behoove you is getting behind a camera and figuring out what your style is if you want to direct. So good luck everyone out there who wants to direct. Peace! Sorry. <laughs> I like that. I don't know what he said, do but it, I like you it. Do it. I don't know what he said. Uh, do, it again. do it again. <laughs> we'll all do it. I did. Peace! 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 And we're out of here. Have a good week. <laughs>